So we, you know, we're walking through this theme we're calling Breaking Barriers. Really what we're doing is exploring the early movement of Jesus' ministry after his earthly time with us through his church. And what we're looking at, and the reason it's called Breaking Barriers, is because Jesus' people, they are responsible. It's hard for us to appreciate now, 2,000 years later, how many barriers they actually broke down, broke through in the name of love. Truly. It's not, it, it's, I, it might be a cliche, but it's true. I mean, there are so many break, breakthrough moments in the portion of the early church, and it transformed society for the better. It elevated people. It, it brought in the marginalized. It did so much. It's why it's so wonderful to be able to explore this together. And, you know, here we are. We're gathered together as a result of what happened then. And it was about a week ago, I was having a conversation with somebody. We have our Mission Java outside, or a piece of it, right? And we have our free coffee and hot chocolate and pastries and cookies and all that. And it was a week ago, somebody was talking to me after in the afternoon. They were saying, hey, you know what? Something interesting happened. I said, what happened? He says, I was outside. And everybody was, it was between services. And everyone was just kind of hanging out. And it was good. It just felt good. You know, it was a beautiful sunny day. Everyone's getting the coffee and pastries, just hanging out, talking. And there were these two guys walking down that weren't part of our gathering. And they were walking out and this happens this happened to me too actually they were just walking and they, they start noticing the crowd and they seem to like it and so they start wondering what this is all about and they look at the building right and then they try to like decipher what this is about and, and, and he says I overheard the conversation I go okay what they say he goes well one of them says oh it's a church <laughs> right it was like a surprise and then the other says yeah you know what I bet you a church is a great place to find community in San Francisco. And then there was a pause, and they kept walking. And then the first friend said, yeah, you know, I just wish there was a church gathering without the religion. <laughs> and I thought, wow. And he said this to me, right? He said, yeah, isn't that fascinating? I was like, yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, because I've had other experiences where they, they'll walk by, and they'll hear the music, and they'll, they'll see everything, and they'll be like, is this a club? Like, on a Sunday morning, right? Like, what is this? Is this a block party on a Sunday morning, right? And, and it's like, they're truly intrigued. There are a lot of people who are truly intrigued. But that statement, I wish it was a church without the religion. Oh, I, I think that's one of the most honest statements that truly reflects the state of spirituality today. I do. I, I, I think... So much of spirituality is defined as an individualistic journey. It's defined as something that, you know what it does? It represents what it looks like for us to connect to the universe, the cosmos. To connect ourselves to nature, right? To become ecologically aware. In fact, so much of spirituality today is defined as what? Removing ourselves from people. 
getting into a place where we're quiet, and there's nothing against that, but that seems to be the beginning and the end of spiritual experiences. To think that a spiritual gathering or a spiritual experience would actually lead us to connect with other people or to connect relationally with human beings, well, today, that's just unheard of. That's a foreign concept. Because, man, I love the community. I love the vibrancy. I love the gathering of people. But that whole spiritual thing, why? It doesn't make sense. And you know what? I understand that thought. It was Sebastian Younger, who's a philosopher. He wrote this book called The Tribe. He spoke of the reality that every human being desires solidarity with another human being. He said, if you could, you could go anywhere around the world, drop yourself in the middle of the jungle or in the middle of the most developed societies, one thing stands true in both places. There is a human desire for solidarity with somebody else. The desire to be connected relationally. It exists everywhere. He says, and here's the thing about this reality of this human experience, is that there is now today a lack of feeling needed in today's Western developed world. There's a lack of it. And because there's a lack of feeling needed, what ends up happening, he says, by the way, he, he writes this, and I, I know I have several friends who, who would be, they, they have served in the military, and I could say, based on the conversations we've had, real, honest conversations, I haven't experienced this myself, but he says it. He says, you know what? One of the most difficult transitions for somebody who's served in the military is actually above and beyond their experiences or the trauma of it. It's being in a place where they are needed and transitioning into a place, our society, where they no longer feel necessary. That is the hardest transition to make. He says, so that is the reality. Younger says, this is the reality of what we live in right now. And because this is a reality and we have this intrinsic desire to have solidarity, a connection with another human being, you know what ends up happening? It's what's happened. He says, society ends up branching out into small factions. And when it branches out into small factions with people who only feel solidarity with one another and their own viewpoints and their own narrow perspective on the world, they end up having agreements together and they, in that place, find themselves comforted. But it doesn't actually help them with the larger society because what ends up happening is they end up making enemies of those with opposing views. Those who have a different perspective actually no longer become an opportunity to expand one's perspective. It now becomes an opportunity to combat and fight. And this branching out, this creating of factions has led to what we now understand as tribalism. In fact, he captured it in this one sentence. I thought it's worth reading. He said, the beauty and the tragedy of the modern world is that it eliminates many situations that require people to demonstrate a commitment to the collective good. It says today's comforts, today's technology, today's capacity to be completely isolated. You know, today it is now possible to be relationally isolated and still survive. 
That was not true 100 years ago. But today it is possible. He says, because of that reality, the need to think of the larger collective good, be it in a family, be it in a workplace, be it in a neighborhood, be it in a city, a town, a Bay Area, a state, a nation, it's been removed. And it's in this reality, it's in this experience that we walk in every day that I want to suggest to you our faith leads us straight into this human dilemma. And it's no exaggeration, it is a dilemma. But to have faith, this is what I want to suggest in the moments we have here together, that faith in Jesus, you know what it is? It's the path to discover the beauty and the strength of human connection, relational connection. That the greatest expression of spirituality with Jesus is the desire and ability to develop connection with other human beings. And this is what will call us beyond our own small cloistered world into considering that our neighbor and that our coworker and that our family member and that our friend and that are those that we would not call friend, they are part of the collective good and Jesus will challenge us. He will not let us be until we start considering what that is. He longs for us. He longs to write this story. We, above any others, we on a faith journey are to be the most connected to other people. This is why, personally, I love the scriptures. Because they're so honest, they're so real. They take in this man, Paul, and they take a man who is extremely individualistic. I mean, independent. He had a high level of intellect, he had a craft that was lucrative for his day. He had the ability to lead. He was not one persuaded by the crowds, by the way. Peer pressure was not something that really fazed him. He was one who stood his ground. He knew who he was. He wasn't moved. He was an individual. And at the same time, you know what? He had one of the highest spiritual experiences with God. On the road to Damascus, Jesus confronted him, undeniably so. It transformed his life. This individualistic, authentic man who had a real experience spiritually with Jesus, you know what he ends up doing? He doesn't, he doesn't do what we would expect somebody like him to do. He doesn't live it alone. You know what he does? He pursues relationship. He pursues it. And it's fascinating to see it unfold because it's not idealistic. It's real. In fact, if you open up your handout, I'd love for us to just explore a small passage here in the book of Acts, and we're shown exactly what this looked like in an honest way. And we're told in verse 26, and when he, he being Paul, had come to Jerusalem, and if we were here a week ago, we would know he was actually on the run, having escaped in the night, humbled, needing to flee for his life. He moves, he makes his way down to Jerusalem and he attempted to join the disciples. Look at this. He goes to a gathering of faith-filled followers of Jesus. He's looking for what? He's looking for connection. He's looking for solidarity. And what happens? And they were all afraid of him. Look at that. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. That's the Bible's way of saying they were skeptical on whether or not he meant what he said. They were uh, dubious in his motives. Why? Three years prior to him coming to them, 
He was the man who stood guarding the coats of the men who martyred their gathering's leader, one of them, Stephen, the first martyr of the church. And that shadow of his past, it cast long. It had developed a narrative, a story about Saul. It, 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 it followed him. It was a shadow that pursued him. The rest of it, it was something he would have to deal with. In fact, I don't know if you've, it's hard for us to put ourselves in his shoes except to say this, that when he tried to connect with them, he was rejected because they held him to his past, not his present. I don't know if we've ever been held to our past rather than our present. It's painful. It's, it's enough for us to say, I'm out. And Paul was in that very situation. And the scriptures are so honest. They're not painting this church gathering as something ideal. No, they, they pigeonholed him. And they were afraid. And we're told in verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and he declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. He brings them. We, we see the re-entry of this man named Barnabas who some of us may know. He was one of the most highly respected leaders of their gathering. He was a man who literally put his money where his mouth was. He financed with his own resource this movement of Jesus. And he was one who was known as a son of encouragement because he naturally saw the best in people. And he naturally called the best out of people. And he naturally elevated those he connected himself to. And Barnabas, in my opinion, here demonstrates one of the highest qualities of any leader. He, he you know what he does? He demonstrates what true leadership looks like. Because why? He wasn't intimidated by Paul's in intellect. He wasn't intimidated by Paul's ability to gather and to mobilize and to move and to create and to build. He didn't feel threatened by Paul. Instead, he did, instead of becoming territorial, you know what he does? Barnabas uses whatever influence he has and he leverages it on behalf of Paul. And you see it. He must have heard. He must have heard of what happened to Paul. He had been following Paul for some time. He knew it was real. He knew it was true. He knew he had a past. Absolutely. Who didn't? But then he goes out and he seeks them. You get, I don't know what that conversation must have been like. But I'm sure it was something like, man, how you doing, Paul? I'm not the greatest. I know. Hey, listen, instead of you going back to them by yourself, how about you come with me? You want me to come with you? Yeah, why don't you, listen, why don't you come with me and I'll, uh, I'll bring you. And because you're connected to me, things will change a little bit. I can imagine something to that effect. Paul humbling himself, already being humbled, says, okay. And as he moves into that gathering, you could see it. You could see Barnabas. Then immediately he, he, he decides, no, you guys are seeing what he was. I want you to see who he is. And he starts to leverage his influence. And listen, this is an amazing thing. They trust Barnabas. And so because they trust Barnabas, they give Paul a chance. In so many ways, what Barnabas does is exactly what Jesus does for every single one of us. Because it's based on the character of Jesus that we even have a chance 
to have right standing. He vouches for us. Anybody who calls on his name, he vouches for. No, 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 no. I want you to believe the best because there is something truly that is the best working out inside of his soul, inside of her soul. And he elevates us. Barnabas stepped into that place. It's a beautiful thing. And we're told actually it had a dramatic impact because when this happened, they trusted Barnabas, so they allowed Paul to come in. In verse 28, we're told this. So he went in and out among them, that him being Paul, at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And by the way, we know he did this for two weeks. We know that because there's a small letter he wrote to the Galatians, and he, I put just a couple of verses right underneath. He's writing to the Galatians years later, and this is what he says. He says, then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter. This is what I did. I wanted to get to know him. I wanted to connect with him. I wanted to create a friendship with him. And I stayed with him for 15 days. He was, at the time, the leader of this movement. The only other apostle I met at the time was James, the Lord's brother, his half-brother. He says, I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. This is what was Paul saying. Listen, something truly dramatic happened in my life. It was three years later that I ended up, pers- I, I moved into a place where I intentionally wanted to connect with the apostles and disciples. And I did it. I stayed with, with eventually I stayed with the leader of this movement that I was in so fierce opposition with. Do you see it? Jesus bridged the animosity. And we're told that after, by the way, it, it, two weeks was long enough for Paul to find himself in trouble again. Because we're told in verse 28 that he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. And look at this. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. He ended up picking another fight. But they were, they were seeking to kill him. This is, this is actually, it's hard for us to appreciate the gravity of what's happening here. But what Paul, what Luke is, Luke is trying to tell us here is that Paul ends up disputing with the very ones who he guarded their coats three years prior when they, in violent opposition to Jesus, ended up martyring Stephen. Those very Hellenists, those are the same people that now Paul is saying, no, 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 you were wrong, and I want to tell you about Jesus. And he ends up getting into a very heated debate, and he ends up being treated by them the very way Stephen was treated by them. It's almost as if they're saying, now that you have this different perspective, we cannot tolerate it. There's no room for conversation here. You are now our enemy. And the only way to handle this, even though it's really a difference of opinion, the only way to handle this is to silence you permanently. This is tribalism. They seek to kill him. And look at this. This is the beautiful story and the fabric of what Jesus does in people's lives. We're told in verse 30 that when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus, his hometown. It's fascinating to me. The ones Saul hunted down three years earlier were the very ones who now rescued and protected him. They were the ones who supported his ministry. They were the ones who sent him along, made his way back home. They were the ones who decided to say, we're with you. We're with you. We're with you. All differences bridged by Jesus. We're with you. They sent him out. Truly, grace at its best, it is humbling and beautiful. It's inspiring. I think it has a couple things to say to us. 
that I just want to put before our community. I want to suggest to you that this has so much for us, but I want to just put some thoughts. One, being, look, you know what this shows us? Being connected to Jesus, you know what it'll do? It'll lead us to pursue human connection. Another way of saying it is spirituality with Jesus will always lead us into human relationship. Always. It's the exact opposite of isolation. It's the exact opposite of removing ourselves from the crowd. It moves us into the crowd. Many times it causes us to create a crowd. Um, I think it's appropriate, I really do, that Paul, who seems to be confrontational, driven, more of a lone ranger type, he is classically the lone ranger. He was also, by the way, the one who created more communities than any of his other peers in his generation. Do we see it? The man who was more driven, single-minded, and individual was actually the man who was more responsible for the gathering of people than any one of his peers in his generation. He not only pursued relationships, he created friendships. He was the one who, who created the gathering in the places where others could connect. He was the one who was, yes, by the grace of God, but he did it. A human being did it. And one that you would never suspect to do it. And this, to me, you know what this sa says? It speaks of something. It speaks, the myth is that strength, spiritual strength, means we don't need people. That's a myth. And the reality, and I say this as humbly as I can, is that the one who is spiritually weak is the one who is unable to connect. Uh, the true measure of strength spiritually and strong faith is the ability to pursue human connection with others. See, we do need strength. We do. We do need to call on God and ask him to give us courage and to ask him to give us resolve. But you know what that courage and resolve is meant to do? It's meant to lead us into relationship. It's meant to lead us into forgiveness. It's meant to lead us into reconciling. It's meant to lead us into the painful places of life and to be the ones who are saying, you know what, I will be a source of healing in this place. I will receive your healing in my soul and I will be in the one, I'll be the one who will say, I will strengthen and heal. Some of us, that is what he is asking us to do. Others of us, listen, it, it requires us willing to forge out friendship. Why? Because it's rigorous work. It's hard work. There's no way around it. In so many ways, the introduction of Paul was met with skepticism and doubt. Today, that's enough to offend any one of us. That's enough to offend any one of us to the place of saying, you know what, forget this community. I'm out. I'm gonna go to a place that accepts me, that embraces me, that doesn't question me, that doesn't push back on me, and that just receives me for who I am. That, that is today. But that's not real life. I wish it was. But real life says no. If, if it's real, and if it's true, and if it's strong, it remains. It doesn't quit on people. It remains and it pushes through. It, it, it goes into a place where it's not the commercialized, manicured life. No, it's, it's the gritty life. It's the place where we, we work to connect. 
where we work to open up to others, we take risks on others, we, we, we get past our differences, we, we get to know others, we, we get to forgive others, we get to ask for forgiveness of others, we get to, we get to really be strengthened by others and strengthen others. That is, that is real life. And I have to say, some of, us, some of us here, if we ever find ourselves in a place where we're in the room and we're the ones with the higher leverage, and we're the ones with the higher trust capital, I'm going to suggest it might be that God is asking us to leverage it on behalf of the one to the right and to the left of us. And in this community, if anybody is ever trying to step into community and trying to become a part of community, and we're the ones who have been a part of community, and we're the ones who have the higher level of, of understanding and familiarity and trust and confidence, we're meant to be the ones who say, you know what, come with me. Come with me. Let me help you connect. Let me help you connect. Let me leverage what I have, no matter how small it is, on your behalf. That is what God is asking us to do. Because if he's asking us to do that, you know what else he, he calls us to? He calls us, and this will happen to every single one of us. It doesn't really matter where we're at in life, or who we are, or what position, or what status, or how much education, or not education, it doesn't really matter. He will call us to confront and move beyond our past. A connection with Jesus, we have to know, will call us to confront and move beyond our past. In a sense, Paul had to reconcile himself to the reality that his past would always be part of his present. That people would know it wherever he went. It was part of his story. And in so many ways, it was part of the grace of God's story in his life. He knew it. He would write about it. And today, here's the deal with past. Past has a uh, harsh role in our lives today, in society. Because here's... We can be 10 years removed from our past, a completely different individual. But if something that we said or tweeted or texted props up from our past, that's it. That's a society we live in. When Jesus is not part of the story, our past dominates. It's true. It's true. Because without, listen, without Jesus, you know what options we have with our past? Mistakes, mess-ups, they're limited. Either we are defined by them, or we deny them, or we make up for them. We try our best to demonstrate that we are different, and we continually press ourselves into good works, into good words. Why? Because we want to make up for our past. Or we hide it. And we hope it will never prop up. Those are the options which, without Jesus. What are the options with our past with Jesus? Well, we're set free from the need to make up for them because Jesus made up for every single one of our mistakes and our mess-ups, every single point of our weakness and our brokenness. He paid the ultimate price. So we don't need to. We're set free from having to deny them because we need Jesus because they are true and real. And his grace abounds. We're set free from having to be defined by them because grace's story in my future is stronger than my mistake story in my past. Because there's something new and true and real he's writing today, now. 
we are then able to be honest about our brokenness and our weaknesses because we know ultimately at the end of the day, we will always need a savior who loves to save and heal and strengthen and restore. And by the way, this is where having a friend who is able to step into our lives, this is where pursuing relational connection actually shows up because I cannot tell you, I, this I cannot overemphasize enough. When our conscience accuses us, it's our friend who reminds us of our true value and worth. When someone else tries to define us by our past, it's our friend who points us to who we are becoming. When our baggage, our guilt, our shame is too heavy to bear, it's our friend. It's our friend who prays for us that we may be healed and alleviated and unburdened. When, when our past tries to drag us back into old ways of being, it's our friend who holds us and speaks courage into our soul and reminds us, don't ever give up on the good things God has started in your life. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. It's our friend who does that. It's our friend who says, yeah, you may have slipped. Yeah, you may have stumbled. Yeah, you may have gone back, but now let's move forward. It's a new day, and every morning there are mercies that are new, and his promise is to always restore our soul and to lead us in the path that is right because of his own name's sake. He loves us. He is the good shepherd. So come, friend, let's go. Come, friend, let's go. That, that is what we are supposed to be. That is who we are supposed to be the place where grace and mercy abounds. Because at the end of the day, you know what? Connection with Jesus will do. It'll challenge us to take risks on people. It will challenge us to take risks on people. I, um, I can only say that I have benefited in this community for over 20 years of people taking a risk on me. And I can tell you, sometimes it truly was a risk, a real risk. But we are the place, we are the place that is meant to be the place where people are embraced and elevated. We're that place. We're the place where people are encouraged to be their best. We're the place where people are given the chance to grow and become the best version of who they are. It doesn't matter where they've come from. It doesn't matter what they're carrying. Because when Jesus is present, there's always hope. There's always mercy. There's always grace. We're the place where love and forgiveness is always given a chance. We're that place. We're the place. Because why are we that place? We're the, that place because Jesus takes a risk on us every single day of our lives. Because every time we have breath in our lungs, Jesus is taking the risk on us and calling the best out of us. And he's believing the best for us. He's not denying the truth of us, but he is elevating. He's elevating us beyond anything else. You understand, I understand the desire to have everything that Jesus produces without Jesus. I get it. But to remove Jesus, it means this will never exist. 
because there is no offense, there is no pain, there is no betrayal, there is no difference, there is no opposition, there is no enemy, there is no pain that can be bridged outside of Jesus. He alone can do it. He alone, he alone. The true miracle in Paul's life, I have to say it, is not that he revealed himself to Paul. Is that he converted Paul into the fiercest enemy of his people, into the strongest advocate who had solidarity, human connection. Oh, I just wonder who we're supposed to extend grace and forgiveness, healing, second, third, hundredth chance. Who we're supposed to take a risk on, who we're supposed to call the best out of. Who are supposed to say, you know what? I'm going to believe that your present and your future is better than your yesterday and your past. And I believe it because Jesus has done it in my life and he's doing it in yours. I wonder, perhaps we will become one of the best expressions of God's grace and mercy in our home, in our neighborhood, in our employment, in our city, in this Bay Area, in our nation. Oh, may that be the case. In a moment, we're going to receive our time of giving, our closing song, but I just want to pray. God, I thank you. I thank you, Jesus, that you don't ever expect us to walk this out alone. I thank you that you uniquely meet us where we're at and that you then call us into a path out of isolation and into healing environments, healing relationships, healing friendships. I thank you, God, that when you're in the picture, truly, there's always a path. There's always a path forward. And so I pray for your grace and your mercy, your restoration, your reconciliation to prevail. And I pray, Jesus, that our community would be one so tightly connected Anyone who steps in through these doors, anyone who walks by our street would want to be a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen.